The title of today's message is this, The Only One Worthy. Revelation chapter 5, go with me there, we'll begin reading, we'll read the first five verses together. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll that was written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? Verse three, no one in heaven on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. Verse 5 tells us, one of the 24 elders said to me, quit crying. (laughs) Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. I pray that the Lord helps us understand the words of the revelation of Jesus that we are looking at. John is still experiencing this throne room scene. Now there's been a scroll that's revealed that's in the right hand of the one who's seated. I want you to picture in your mind, okay, the one who is seated on the throne, on a throne, would be the father. Now we're going to be introduced to the one who is worthy, and they give him several titles. The elders talk about him using the terms that we just read, Lion of the tribe of Judah and the Root of David, But here's something very interesting. The right hand is where the scroll is held in the Father's hand, the right hand. How many of you are left-handed? Raise your hand. Oh, we got a couple. Okay, my father is left-handed. Oh, okay, I thought that was your hand, and I was like, wait, two people married or left-handed? That's strange. Uh, no, so it doesn't happen very often, right? It's my father's left-handed. Um, he had problems, you know, you got to turn pages around books around to write correctly and all the things. Listen, there's something significant about the right hand. It signifies power, favor, blessing, and authority. Starting from the days of the Old Testament, when the father would bless the children, he would put his right hand upon them. You talk about today's culture in modern times, we say, Tim, he's my right-hand man. What does that mean? It means he's my favorite. No, it means that he's, he's the guy who's, he's my right hand. He helps me with whatever. So understand, we still use this terminology today, talking about being either seated on the right hand or my right-hand man. And this is because it signifies blessing, power, authority. The scroll has been written, the Bible says, within and on the back. Now, scholars have many different arguments. They discuss lots of things. There are people from different theological backgrounds that see things a certain way, and they are opposed to other people who see it a different way. I'm just going to tell you, out of hundreds of scholars that are out there, there are hundreds of opinions about what this scroll must have looked like. But let me explain to you the general idea. If it's a scroll that's been rolled up and written on the inside and on the outside, it would be, in essence, 
like a title written on the outside and the details on the inside. Now, there are Old Testament protocols where they used to write deeds and there's biblical references about deeds uh, for property and things like that that would have been a scroll rolled and sealed with a not a loose but a, a tail, if you will, of the scroll, a piece that you could actually read that would look like this that told you what the contents of the scroll were. So there's a couple different ways that you could look at this. Regardless, one thing is really important and what's really, really interesting. The book of Revelation, the Apostle John, nor us are ever told what's inside of the scroll. So you're left to imagine, if you want to, um, or to try to figure out, is this the, the, there are other books in heaven. The Bible says there's a book of life. There are records being kept. We are not certain of the, of the internal document that God has been holding. Let me also explain this. If I'm holding a scroll, okay, you've all rolled up a piece of paper, just if it looked just like this. Okay, if this edge and I wanted to bind it, I would put one piece of tape there and I'd hand it to you. It'd be very easy to open. Whenever the bookkeeper mails my uh, paychecks to the church, she tapes it like it came from Fort Knox. Okay, there is tape on this end, tape on this end, tape across the entire border of the thing because it's valuable. Okay. Now, it's not valuable until it's signed, but she's she's got her own system. Now, understand this. If I were to give you a document that was sealed with seven seals across the edge, you still can't read anything once the first seal is open. You can't read anything once the second seal is open. You can't see the contents until you've broken all seven of those seals. So I know this sounds elementary, but it really helps us as we start moving through the book of Revelation because it's going to start picking up speed. Let me talk about the number seven very quickly. Numbers in the Bible, they are important. In fact, they're so important, God has an entire book called Numbers. <laughs> It's not a math textbook, but it's uh, about numbers, the numbers of the people, of the tribes of Israel. God is concerned with numbers. In the Bible, there are references, over 700 references to the number seven. Not every one of them has a divine implication. I'm not here telling you that there's some mysterious code and if you match up all the sevens, you'll get a cool little, no, I'm not saying that. Sometimes a seven is just a seven, but there are times in scripture that it, it signifies something. Scholars believe that the majority of those references in scripture, that the number seven represents completeness or wholeness, completion or wholeness. So think about it like this. There are seven days of creation, six of work, and the seventh was for rest. You better honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. I'm not going to talk about the Ten Commandments right now. There's a reason God did what he did and modeled it for you. And I think us in this world, are we are too busy. We're too busy. 
and we're out of breath and we're out of rest and we're in despair and we're more depressed. We're all of these things because we are overworked and can I get an underpaid anybody? <laughs> right? You're my, all the teachers said amen. Okay. Uh, and those that work in any facet, you know, God did it for a reason. We still have seven days in a week. There are actually seven feasts for the Jewish people that they honored or holidays throughout the Old Testament. So seven is definitely, there's an importance there. There are seven seals on this scroll that we just talked about. The book of Revelation has a handful of them, and each one of them seem like they're significant. Seven churches, there's seven trumpets, there's seven seals, seven torches, there are even seven bolts. It just goes on and on. There's a reason for that number there. And we're not sure every single time as to what it signifies, except for generally speaking, we could say it means completion or wholeness. Verse 3, I want you to notice something. In verse 3, it says three different locations. If you want to call them geography, geographical locations, you could. But essentially what scholars refer to this as is a three-tiered cosmology. So it's John the Apostle in the throne room is scanning the horizon, if you will, of heaven and cannot see anyone worthy to open the scroll. He looks and sees there is no one on the earth righteous and holy enough who has the honor and the ability, capability to open the scroll. And the Bible also, from really the beginning of the Bible's written time, which again is pre-scientific, pre-modern, they believed things were under the earth, okay, or that there was a place under the earth. And so John is again saying neither... In simple terms, nobody in the entirety of the universe was found worthy to open it or look inside of it. Verse 4, John becomes dismayed that no one has been found worthy. But then in verse 5, one of the 24 elders tells him, Don't weep any longer. Behold the lion of the tribe of Judah and the root of David. He is here and he is the one who's worthy. So these are important descriptors and I want us to break these down a little bit. This is the only place in all of scripture that the phrasing appears of Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah, but it has a throwback or a reference all the way to the beginning of scripture in Genesis 49. So we'll have those verses for you on the screen. I want to read this to you. The context is Jacob is pronouncing a blessing upon his sons. Again, numbers do have some meaning and some divine implication. There are three patriarchs in the history of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So Jacob is now pronouncing a blessing over his sons and He had 12 sons and one daughter, and he's giving these blessings away. And in verse 8, he says this, Judah, we have a child named Judah in our church. There he is. Judah, how do you like this? I want you to pay attention real close to these verses, and you can use them for your brothers and sisters later, okay? Judah, your brothers shall praise you. What do you think about that? Your hand shall be on the neck 
of your enemies. In other words, you'll have power over your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. It's another way to say brothers. (laughs) They will bow down before you. Verse 9, Judah is a lion's cub from the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down, he crouched as a lion and as a lioness. Who dares rouse him? Look at this in verse 10. This is, according to the majority of scholars, a prophecy about the coming Messiah, Jesus. It says this, the scepter, which is a sign of authority of a king, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him or gets paid to him. And to him shall be the obedience of all peoples. Now, all of a sudden, it went from Judah to something far in the distance because there is no, no man No single man besides the one that we just heard called the lion of the tribe of Judah who deserves the obedience of all peoples. So this is important that you understand John is seeing something, he's hearing something, and it relates to scripture even from the very beginning. This is amazing. The root of David appears in Isaiah chapter 11. There's a correlation here or a connection point. The root of David. What's really interesting about this, and we'll read the verses in just a moment. What's really interesting about this is Jesus was before David. So to have this title is something incredible. Verse 1, it says this in chapter 11. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse... And a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Now I want you to stop there and think about this. Okay, Isaiah is prophesying. He's prophesying to those who have been exiled. Okay, And he is saying even though the lineage of Jesse has been cut down. The kingship has been really destroyed and ran through the mud. Even though all hope seems to be lost. There's a stump there and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. This is what I read to you in verse 2 about the seven spirits of God last week. Look at verse 2. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the spirit of wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. Verse 3, it says, And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the, pay attention, with the rod of his mouth. We've already started learning about that in Revelation. That There is one who has a sword in his mouth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, his word. And with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Verse 5, righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. So the Savior will accomplish what David, this is what Isaiah is saying. 
the coming Savior in the future, the Messiah, will accomplish what David and his successors could not accomplish on the throne of Judah. They had failed miserably, in fact. So when the nation had been cut down and the rulership, only that stump remained, it, it seems as though what Isaiah is communicating is now being fulfilled in the vision of John, what he sees in heaven. If you want other references, you can write these down and uh, look them up later. Isaiah 4, 2, Isaiah 53, verse 2, Revelation 22, verse 16. It's all referencing either a branch or root as Jesus, the righteous branch or root. This is remarkable because when all hope seemed like it had been lost, Jesus comes onto the scene. Jesus of Nazareth And even in that moment, you have to understand, I want you to really comprehend the significance of Jesus, the Messiah, being born to a people in exile. They were being ruled by a foreign entity, a foreign government, and it seems as though if history is proving true in their day, the reason why they were having to be ruled over by others is because they had been separating themselves from God. Now God has made a bridge. Hallelujah. So the, the real depth of this is that Jesus came from David. If you want to think about historical lineage, But if you think about eternity, Jesus was before David and David came from God. Amen. So the line of the tribe of Judah and the root of David is the only one worthy to open the scroll. Uh, The reason that we're going to understand that he's able to open the scroll is in the next few verses. It's because of his sacrifice, because he is the only one who has been able to provide a means of reconciliation between us and God. Look at what verse 6 says in Revelation chapter 5. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb, capital L, standing as though it had been slain, with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. As we pause here, I want you to think about the significance of something that has been slain, but is now in an upright position standing of its own free will. This is a perfect picture of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. Because he was slain, but he is now standing and alive, the Bible says. So the lamb has seven horns. If you ever end up on a farm and you see a lamb with seven horns, you should probably run really fast, okay? Get out of there quickly, okay? They might have one at a circus. I I don't know. I've never seen one, okay? But I will tell you, this must have been a strange sight that John was looking at. Seven eyes, not two, but seven. So there, you can Google this image. There are lots of them out there. It's weird to look at, okay? 
What John is communicating, how he's trying to communicate what he sees, though, is important because horns represent something. Horns represent authority, power, strength, victory. If you've ever watched a nature show, my kids and I, we love watching some nature shows. We have to like kind of just weed through all the evolutionary theory stuff and billions and billions of light years and all that stuff. But it's really awesome, especially with today's high definition cameras, like amazing. We saw a bumblebee. I'll tell you this really quick. I saw one this week. It was amazing on this show, a bumblebee that hangs upside down on a flower that grows and droops and vibrates so that the pollen drops onto her belly so that she can carry it to the next place. Amazing the creatures that God has made. Amazing. Whenever you watch a nature show, anything that involves animals that have horns, though, they do something very interesting. They rear up. If there's a fight, there's always a battle between two guys over one girl. Okay, And they always rear up And their horns get exalted. There's wording all throughout scripture about the horn of my salvation. Or Lord you are exalting me. Talking about power, authority, victory. But here this seven represents and relates to the churches then. And by virtue of history to us now. That this slain but now standing lamb has all power and all authority. All victory and all strength. This is important. Now, do I think Jesus, when you see him face to face, will have seven horns? I don't think so. Okay? I think this is an image that God allowed John to see so that he could understand what he was watching. Okay? I believe that Jesus is in his resurrected body. I believe you are going to have a resurrected body. I don't know how to explain the fact that you'll be spiritual of spiritual substance, but have a physical nature. I don't know how that whole thing works, but I'm excited to find out. The Bible says Jesus' resurrected body was able to walk through walls, like walk through places and get into places that lock doors. Okay, that's pretty awesome. I can't wait to experience the resurrected body. It's going to be amazing. The lamb has seven eyes. The seven eyes, which we just read about, are the seven spirits of God. And this is what John says they are. The Greek word that John uses implies seven physical, actual eyes, using the terminology you would use for a human eye, and says that there are seven that he sees. And from all of my study... What it represents is the interconnectedness of the Trinity. If you could imagine the Spirit of God resting on the head of the Lamb. Now this sounds awfully familiar if you remember Jesus' baptism in the Jordan. Jesus being baptized not by this John, but by John the baptizer, his cousin. John looks up and sees Jesus coming And in John chapter 1, it tells us very clearly, John says, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world as he sees Jesus. And the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus at his baptism 
and rested and remained on him. So the interconnectedness, the unity between the Trinity is clearly on display. This is very, very significant to us because the Father, Son, and Spirit all together represent to us the Trinity. We have to see this image, which is present at creation in Genesis chapters 1 through 3, and it's all present throughout Scripture, and it shows up here again. The Father seated on the throne, the Lamb, and we've already read about the seven spirits of God, and now John sees eyeballs that he says are the seven spirits of God. Verse 7 says this, And he, the Lamb, went and took the scroll. Now, I don't understand how a lamb uses a hand. Okay, because they're on all fours, right? So, again, John is trying to communicate something. The lamb goes and takes the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. There is no one who is worthy but the son to do what is being done right now. Verse 8, it says this, And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. The elders and the four creatures fell down before the lamb. The one who's worthy, they understand, to receive worship, honor, praise, glory, all of these things. There's something additional that John then mentions. We've talked about the beasts in the last, the, the, there's another term, they use beast. I don't want to get them mixed up though because we will talk about, about the beast in a future moment that we go through Revelation. The four creatures, okay? the four living creatures, and the 24 elders. We've already heard descriptions of them in the previous chapters, but now he says each one of them are holding a harp. Have you ever been in a room where someone played a harp? Raise your hand. It might just be me, but it is one of the most beautiful sounding things. If they're, if they're skilled at all, to hear a harpist and to see how they make those strings sing, it's, it's beautiful beyond words. John is seeing the 24 elders and the four creatures who now are holding harps, but they're also holding golden bowls of incense. Now, harps are a representation of worship because the Bible clearly shows all throughout Scripture that harps were used. Now, in the old days, back in the Old Testament, they weren't gigantic, you know, seven-foot structures and things like that. David played a harp. I'm sure he didn't carry one of those on his back that looked like the modern ones we have. So it was a handheld stringed instrument that they played on. Every time they're mentioned in the Old Testament... They're used for worshiping God. So these, this is just an instrument. So I said you're going to be worshiping forever. Now there's instruments. Can I get an amen from the musicians? You can jam out on the bass, on the drums. It's going to be awesome. Better than ACDC or whatever your favorite band is, okay? A heavenly choir of sorts. So harps they have, but they also have bowls of incense. And John tells us what the bowls are. 
He says these bowls of incense hold the prayers of the saints. Now, I want to draw your attention to two things, which would be the incense aspect as well as prayer aspect. But according to the design of the tabernacle, which I'm going to have on the screen for you right now, I want to show you what was taking place, okay? So, oh, my battery. Oh, here it is. Okay. So this would be the entrance to go into the tabernacle. Do you remember last week's message? We said, according to Hebrews, this is a copy of heavenly things. God gave them very specific instructions. So they would enter into here in this outer court area. This was the sacrificial place where they slaughtered the animal and raised it up as an offering to the Lord. There was a wash basin. You can see the high priest here or a priest washing his hands in the basin. Inside of the actual tent structure, there's a cutaway view here so that you could see what's inside the holy place once you went through that curtain, the veil having been torn. We'll talk about that in a second. Inside the holy place is the menorah. You see the candlestick right there. There's also a table of bread. Okay, we'll talk about that in a future episode. And in this place, right before you get into the Holy of Holies is that little structure there, and it is the altar of incense. Incense is important. I want to show you what this altar would have looked like. Give me the next one. Okay, this is a closer up view, some replicas that I found. Okay, it would have looked like this. It would have been overlaid in gold. It actually would have been, it had a grid pattern on the top and a grid on the side where it would uh, like breathe oxygen, like have oxygenation to it so that whenever they put incense on top, they would put coals underneath and then it would cause it to go, uh, the incense, the smell to rise. There's something really cool about this that happened in the Old Testament. Twice a day at the time of prayer, in the morning and in the evening, go back one slide to the other picture. The priest would take ashes and coals from the sacrificial table and he would go into the holy, that holy place and he would stoke the fire underneath the incense. As people in the outer court and around in the camp lifted up their voice in prayer to God, incense was rising to heaven as a demonstration, as a symbolic representation of their prayers reaching God and going to heaven. So now John, in the history of Judaism, having been wrapped up and now fulfilled and being brought into this idea of Christ being the Messiah, is seeing something incredible. Inside of the throne room of God, these Creatures and elders are holding bowls of incense before the throne of God. And it says that they're the prayers of the saints. Listen to what King David writes in Psalm 141, verse 1 and 2. Theologians believe this is one of the Psalms that could have been written while David was on the run, while he was being chased for his life. He wouldn't have had access, listen to me clearly, he would not have had access to go to the tabernacle or to go anywhere to worship God publicly because he's on the run. 
Listen to what he says in verse one. Oh Lord, I call upon you. Come to me, hurry to me, hasten to me. Give ear to my voice when I call to you. Let my prayer be counted as incense before you and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. God, I might be in a cave in the middle of nowhere running for my life, but I will still worship you. My prayer is the incense that rises and me lifting my hands. I am the sacrifice. I'm saying, Lord, I'm giving myself to you. This is awesome because the correlation then we see John having in Revelation chapter five, where these elders have the bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So it would seem to me that some prayers, if not all prayers, have been stored up in heaven in these bowls. How that's possible with trillions of prayers that have been offered, I don't know. I don't understand the concept. I can't fathom what it would have looked like. It could have been individual saints that had prayed prayers just about the persecuted church. It could have been a lot of different things. It could be every prayer that has ever been prayed by a righteous person, and it was stored in these bowls. The New Testament is full of references about believers being saints. And every true believer is a saint. This is not a Catholic church. I don't know if you stumbled in here today hoping it was. It's not, okay? Uh, we don't pray to saints, okay? There's no reason to because we have one mediator. Man, don't make me start speaking in tongues. We've got one mediator, hallelujah, who is between us and God. And that person is not me. <laughs> it's not your husband or your wife. It's not your father or your mother. There is one mediator, the Bible says, and that man who is God was Jesus the Christ. If we are true believers who have pledged our allegiance to him, then we become saints. Really simple to understand the word saint means holy or separated it means consecrated one. Please don't refer to my wife today, even though she does act like a saint most days. Don't call her Saint Amy from now on. That's not what we're getting at, okay? And notice I used her as the example, not me, okay? But she's really sweet. And as sweet as you are, Miss Julie, I hope no one calls you Saint Julie, okay? But we are saints because we are believers, if we have pledged our allegiance, our loyalty, and our belief in God, the New Testament is full of references speaking of believers' sainthood. Which prayers from which saints are in these bowls? I don't know. We're not told. It could be every prayer that's ever been prayed. Here's the thing. When the breaking of the seventh seal happens in chapter 8, and we'll get there eventually, we'll hear about these prayers again. Verse 9 says this, and they sang a new, a new song. What does this mean? It means to me that it was a song that John did not hear previously. He's heard them sing already. He's seen the elders cast their crowns down and worship at the feet of the one who is seated on the throne. Now all of a sudden there's a lamb in the picture who is slain, who has been slain, but is now standing. And now he's hearing them sing a different new song. 
And they're saying this, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and it's by your blood that you have ransomed people for God from pay attention to the language, every tribe, every language, every people, every nation. This is incredible. What John, I, I need you to just think comprehensively about how they moved to the fulfillment of who Jesus is on the earth, his death and resurrection, and the church gets built, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now they've, they've understood there's a fulfillment of these things that have brought them to this new place. The people on the earth is who I'm talking about. And God is actively working to redeem all, not just one group, but all nations. Every nation, tribe, language, every person that none should perish because he's a family man he wants a big family amen the elders who are singing and the creatures the four living creatures continue their song verse 10 and says something so beautiful and you have made them from every tribe, nation, and tongue, those that you've ransomed. You've made them into a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. This again, I'm, I'm telling you, <laughs> read the Bible with your brain. You don't have to give up your intellect in order to be a student of the Bible. Amen? Can I get a loud amen? Shall reign on the earth. This is about the new heaven and the new earth. This is about the fact that you're not going to just float on a cloud into distant space. You're going to have a job to do. You are going to be priests before God. Each one of us who are ransomed by him, we are a kingdom already, but also not yet. There is a future fulfillment that's coming. And while we talk about reigning on the earth, this is not possible for us now. But it will be someday when he allows it to happen. We, all the redeemed, shall reign on the earth. What are we going to do? We're going to grow things. We're going to live. We're going to enjoy God's presence. We're going to have an existence from now through eternity. The song lyrics are important because the lamb's life and blood is the operative thing that has provided the ransom for those people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people. Verse 10 is not to be missed, what I just hinted at, with the kingdom of priests. And this has Old Testament references as well, which I could give you a ton of them. Old Testament saying that God was prophesying through these prophets that he would have a nation that was not only called apart and separate and for him only, but that they would become a nation of priests. Verse 11, look at what it says in chapter 5. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands upon thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain 
to receive power, wealth, wisdom, might, honor, glory, blessing. Amen? So it would seem, if I'm using my brain and my intelligence, it would seem as though John is now recognizing that the worship concert has started... And it's no longer just 24 elders and four living, strange-looking beasts. And there's a lamb there, and there's someone seated on the throne. But every creature in all of heaven begin to worship. It's a concert for the lamb. And then it expands and goes further than that. Verse 13, it opens up even wider in scope, and it says this, And I heard every creature... In heaven and on earth, here's the three tears again, and under the earth and even in the sea. The whales have a song. Right now it's just a mating call for one another or danger, look out, whatever. And they've done all kinds of different studies on how to you know, determine what they're trying to communicate. Listen to me. John says... Every created being in the spiritual, supernatural realm that he could see began to worship. And then every creature he could see was worshiping in heaven and on earth and under the earth, including the sea and all that is in them, saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, they're both being worshiped. It doesn't say the lamb is on the throne yet. We're not going to see that enthronement until the very end. Revelation 20 through 22, we'll see the lamb takes his place. But here in this moment, they begin to sing, saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Verse 14, and the four living creatures said, amen. Did you know amen is more than just a Christian word to use? You know what it actually means? Not at me. It means so be it. Okay, so be careful when you amen. Okay, (laughs) be careful what you say so be it to. The four living creatures shout amen to the song that is heard in the heavens and on the earth, under the earth, and in the sea. And they fell down and worshiped. What an amazing sight this must have been. Myriads upon myriads, thousands upon thousands, every angel, every created being that God's made in heaven and on earth and under the earth, all worshiping him. The takeaway for us today, still on earth and not yet entered into eternity, has two applications. There are two things that I want to show you or make you really think about today. The first application or takeaway is this. Your prayers are heard by God. We need to recognize that our God is very much alive and he is very much listening to the prayers of the saints. So, well, pastor, I've had prayer that has not been answered. Keep praying. Keep believing. Keep reminding God of his faithfulness. Keep saying, Lord, you said in your word. Keep going after that thing that you know is according to his will, according to his purpose. Your prayers 
are heard by God himself. It's amazing we're not in the Old Testament. I don't have to wait and bring a lamb to a priest to be able to be purified or to have any kind of moment of clarity to say, okay, now God can listen to me. I don't need that. All I needed was the lamb. And he has made a way for my voice, my heart, my prayer to be heard by God who sits on the throne of heaven. So don't stop praying. Don't stop believing. Don't stop going after whatever it is you believe that God has in his will for you. And you can see those things principally in God's word. If you ever have a doubt of whether you're praying according to God's will, just look in his word for examples of that. Lord, help me in my marriage. I can guarantee you he's invested in your marriage. Lord, help us in our finances. I guarantee you, principally speaking, he says he provides for the righteous and he's never seen them begging for bread. Come on, somebody. So I know that I'm praying according to God's will. When I pray those prayers, I know they're being heard. The second takeaway is this. Your worship belongs to God. Now, this is where... I will go down the path of worship as a lifestyle a little bit. Because we are worshipers by nature. God created us to be worshipers. But what we end up seeing in today's day and age is self-worship, self-exaltation. All of these things that look inside instead of looking to God and giving him the worship that only belongs to him. Amen. And that is the worship that includes your mouth in the car listening to a worship song without listening to music at all, just singing without instruments. It includes your daily life as you read, as you learn more about God's character. It is comprehensively all of your focus belongs to God. If God's not first, he is last. He's nowhere on the list. That's his opinion. That's not mine. He says, if I'm not first on the top of all of those priorities, then I'm not on your priority list. So I like to imagine sometimes how it would be if you and I were transported right now, just sucked off the earth into the throne room of God. I bet you, I bet you, and this is not your pastor trying to guilt you. I bet you the worship that you brought in that moment would be different than what we did 30 minutes ago. I like to imagine sometimes what it will be like for me to be in the actual presence of God to worship him. It'll be incredible. Imagine that for yourself this week when you're in the car, next time you join together with believers to worship God like we do on Sundays, Believe and understand that you will be in his presence for eternity and your worship belongs to him now and then. Amen. So how would you really express yourself in worship in the presence of God? What type of body language would you express? What kind of words would you have? Would you go through moments where you were speechless in his presence? What type of song, brand new, that's better than anything Natalie Grant ever wrote, would you sing in the presence of God, right? Like, worship like that. Let it capture you. Not just so that you get caught up in emotionalism, 
but that you're caught up in reality. The reality that your worship belongs to God. Amen? Stand with me. This is your chance. You've got another shot today to worship the Lord with all your might. Listen, if a king can do it, the Bible says the king did it in a very undignified way, and he said, I'll still give you more worship, Lord. It doesn't matter what clothes you have on. It doesn't matter what place you're in. It doesn't matter what, where you find yourself. You can worship God. Amen? So remember that this week and emphasize prayer and worship in your daily schedule. It, it needs, we need the reminder to apply these things that we are seeing in Revelation to the here and now. With the knowledge and the confident assurance that I have that my prayers are being heard by God and maybe even they're in that bowl being stored up for the answers to be poured out, then I'm gonna pray all the more fervently with the reality that all the worship I have doesn't belong to me, celebrities, anything else here on this world, it belongs to God and him alone, then I want to worship him, like Jesus said, in spirit and in truth, and like your pastor encouraged you with your body too. We pray this simple prayer, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? I sincerely believe that there is someone here today that has been disheartened because their prayer has not yet been answered and they've believed a lie that it has not been heard God wants to encourage you today I believe he wants to release some freedom in this house to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth because the slain one who is now standing is the only one who's worthy can we give him praise today can you just lift up your voice you can clap I don't care what you do (laughs) just talk to him it doesn't matter how educated you sound it doesn't matter the song that you sing it doesn't matter that the lyrics aren't on the screen for whatever you say Just, just worship him in spirit and in truth today Lord, I pray for Celebrate Church that you would help us to not be bound to tradition or the religion of man or our upbringing, however reserved or conservative in action it may have been. I pray you would release the fullness of your spirit in this place and that, Lord, you would help us to worship you in spirit and in truth. Lord, I pray that as prayers get offered today and even this week, that that confident assurance would sink deep into our heart like an anchor, knowing that the God, the only God who is living, is the God who hears every prayer that's being prayed. God, I pray that you would give us that confidence today. If you're here and you have a need for prayer, I'd love to meet you today up here. I'll be standing over here for just a moment. If you have a prayer need, whether it's for your job, your spouse, healing, whatever it may be, if you need prayer for any reason, I encourage you to step out. If you don't step out to pray, then let's just worship and give it all we've got. Amen. It's your breath and I-